friends, what follows is not for the faint of heart. We bring you tales of the paranormal, human wickedness, the curious, and the bizarre. Please, if you continue, proceed with caution and an open mind. We are the Queen City Creeps. Hello and welcome to Queen City Creeps, your favorite podcast for all things true crime, paranormal, and just a little bit weird. I am here, as always, with Jennifer. Hello. And Shelby. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) And also today, we are joined in studio by our intern, Alonzo. Say hi, Alonzo. Hello. Yay, he's here. Uh, Alonzo, if you went to the live show, you've seen him around. He hangs out with us. We've mentioned him before. He's been on Instagram. Now he's he's on the payroll. Yeah, the payroll. Once we get money. And sure. uh, he'll be here to fact check so Jennifer doesn't have to get out her phone. Yes. It's going to be amazing. We're going to love it. You guys ready to do this? So ready. Lonzo, are you ready to listen to this? I am ready. Perfect. Okay. So my question to you guys today is, what was the last true story slash documentary slash based on a true story that you've seen recently or read that really inspired you to do more research? That was a lot of oars. I know. A lot of different situations. So, like, what what is something that got you really excited about a topic as far as, like, a, a true story goes? So, I, I've been watching this really ridiculous show that I shouldn't have been watching in the first place, but guess what happens at 2 in the morning on Amazon Prime? Nothing Amazon good. Amazon Prime's the bomb. <laughs> so, based on my love of uh, of murder porn and all the things connected to said things. Uh-huh. Not actual murder pornography, but that's that's my fun term for like serial killer shows <sighs> because I'm mildly aroused by them. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, semi boners. Yeah, so so Amazon Prime has figured this out about me, luckily, after all these years. Get fear boners? Uh, not even so much that, just that I really enjoy stuff that's Weird and murdery and and die and everything there else. You go. Yes. So they recommended the show to me uh, that was just called Urban Legends, and okay. Urban Legends as as a show is that they tell like the, the story of three different urban legends, which I love, mm-hmm. and then at the end of it, they tell you which one is is real out of the three. So one of the three is always real. Okay. Now their execution leaves a little little to be desired because it's mostly like really bad actors, and then you realize that some of those really bad actors were the people this shit actually happened to, and you're like, oh, that's even worse somehow. <laughs> Yikes! Yes. But it has prompted me where it's like I, I'm watching this, and they're like, well, obviously this shit wasn't true because of science, and I'm like, now you hold on a fucking second here. <laughs> so here I am, early in the in the wee hours of the morning, maybe a little drunk, googling stuff on my cell phone about like, is it possible to swallow a uh, what are the, the, the Japanese puffer fish things? Ooh. Like, is it possible to swallow that and then have it blow up in your throat? And but is like, it possible? Well, so the whole thing is that their fear response would probably prompt them to blow up before you ever got a chance to swallow them. That makes sense. But I'm sitting there like, mm, I don't know about that. So I'm still... On the fence. Jury's still out on that one. Yeah. I, I Cast and crew and writers of Urban Legends, I'm calling you out. Because I really feel like I could manage to to get one of those little bad little bad boys down my throat before it puffed up, <laughs> but I don't want to because in the story the guy died because it puffed up in his throat and he couldn't get it out. Ugh. Oh. So. That would definitely block your airway. The Google yes. the googling continues. Perfect. Perfect. I love Google. J Bell's the best. Um. I feel like the one that I got like really obsessed about 
was Scientology, The Aftermath with Leah Remedy, mm-hmm. which we've already talked about. You are obsessed. It's just, I it just was think so... you're a Scientologist. Oh, it's like complete opposite of Scientology for me. Hmm. It's because it's so fucked up that I'm just like, how are these people involved with this? But I want to know all about it. Because, I mean, it, it changes each season, too. Like, she gets more and more involved with it. I can't wait for third season. It gets so good. And I know both of you need to see this. It's so good. Is it she, on Hulu? She gets more involved with Scientology? Well, she she interviews. Or... Like, each each um, episode is she's interviewing someone that used to be in Scientology. And so she goes more and more. Because every single person has a different viewpoint, different experience. Sure. So they each talk about their experiences and who they knew um, what was done to them or whatever the case is. So she gets even more involved with it and goes and does it like a deep dive. Cause if she just did it by her own experience, cause she was in Scientology, mm-hmm. it would just be like surface, like what she was exposed to. Right. But like I, what, nothing about any other things. But what I wanted this to be was Leah Remini literally continually getting deeper <laughs> into Scientology. <laughs> where she's no. just like, all right, I'm a level eight now. Like, every episode, she just goes up just a little bit. She has all then, the Thetans. Right, exactly. That's what I was trying to think of. I was like, oh, no. I was like, what are they? Like, it's Thetas or, like, Mucklux. I can't remember what She's the hell they She's super have. clear now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, sounds amazing. But, yeah, it's just, it gets more and more, I don't know, involved in it. And I, I know that I'm, like, getting obsessed with it whenever I start just, like, wanting more on top of what I'm watching. Mm-hmm. So I'll go to YouTube and just, like, just search Scientology or Leah Remedy. I, I look at a lot of, like, her interviews promoting the show. Yeah. Because she tells even more about her experiences and who she's talked to and just the craziness. So and, you're obsessed. Yeah. Basically. She had, like, a whole, um, like, 60-minute, like, interview with Joe Rogan on his podcast. And I watched the whole thing. Holy crap. <laughs> Loved it. Loved every second of it. So are you considering joining the church now? Or? No, I'm, I'm opposite of a Scientologist. Like, I hate Scientology. She wants to burn it but with fire. I, I mm. find that interesting, like, cult mentality as well, because it is, like, more like a cult than a religion. Or yeah. do you want it more is. Like, people it's way more of a cult than a religion. to join Scientology so that there are more stories no. and more people leave? No, I feel bad for the people that are in it, to be honest. A lot of them grow up as Scientologists because mm-hmm. um, their parents got them involved. So they've been with it and then brainwashed their whole lives. They are also not very educated because they don't promote being educated. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them, like Leah Remini, she only has like an eighth grade education. Holy shit. Yeah. And I can't, then I can't imagine that why, why that might benefit Scientology at all to not well, have educated they, people involved. Right. Well, I, I guess that was sarcasm. Yeah, it was, like... it was extreme sarcasm. Yes. The last thing is actually what inspired me to start researching this episode, which is going to be a little off-brand for us, but also not really, let's be honest. Shut it down right now. I know. I'm sorry. I watched Manhunt Unabomber on Netflix. Love it. Which is actually a Discovery Channel show, which I did not realize at first. Netflix recommended it to me based on my love of murder porn as shelby would call it slash mindhunter which is also porn for me in a certain mindhunter and manhunt unabomber is i think very similar very similar um i think mindhunter is probably honestly better done and i like the tone of better yeah um but it could also be because it's what like late 60s early 70s 
versus the early 90s, late 80s of Manhunt. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. But there's some decently famous people in it. And it's really good. And you should check it out on Netflix. But I couldn't get it out of my brain. So I decided to do an episode about it. I hope you guys are excited. Yay! Pretty jazzed. Are you ready for this? So, yes. so is this thing you watched a documentary? Or is it a... No, it is not. It is a... A really fancy ass reenactment. Okay, that that makes sense when you said there were famous people in it, but I wasn't. Yeah, sure yeah. Um, what is his name? The guy from Avatar. Alonso, <laughs> this the, is all you. Yes, the, <laughs> call read me the cast of this. The the blue one. Yeah, the blue guy from Avatar. <laughs> okay, and the red and blue guy from Avengers, <laughs> and Mr. Big from Sex and the City what, are all in this movie. What color was Mr. Big? Skin tone colored. He was peach. no Alonzo. Type in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, type don't, in cast. Don't of you Man dare Hunt. tell yeah. him how to intern. <laughs> she's not. She's telling him how to Google. He was looking at me like he had no idea what to type in. There were like four different people. Okay, so about. here, <laughs> just, just tilt this my way. Okay, so in this movie, are you ready for this? Yes. You have Paul Bettany, also known as Vision, from. Marvel, yes. the Avengers. He's the actual Unabomber. Yes. Uh, which he does a really good job as Ted Kaczynski, just so we're all aware. Yes. Um, Sam Worthington, also known as the blue guy from Avatar and in about five million other things. Yes. So that's fine. Some girls that are not super familiar to me, but they look familiar, so I think they're probably like kind of famous. Chris Noth <laughs> is in it. That's Mr. Big. Mark Duplass, who's got a hand in pretty much Duplass. Every- Duplass. Duplass. Yes. Also love him. Love him love so him. much. I don't know um, who any of these people are so He's far. in the league. He's real fresh. Mark Duplass is amazing. He's so good. He's super cute. Super funny. So funny. Although not funny in um, Goliath when he gets his legs and arms cut off. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, also, spoilers. Jane, spoilers for the second season. Jane Lynch plays Janet Reno. Nice. It's okay. very That's impressive. That's pretty good. Let me see if there's anybody else that's kind of famous in this. No, not so much. No. <laughs> but. But very good. So good. Excellent. Not It's like eight episodes. It's not bad. It's not bad. So okay. watch it on Netflix. You ready for this? Ready? 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 Are we watching it? No, we can. <laughs> okay. If you'd rather watch it instead of me tell you the story. That's no, fine. go ahead and tell me the story. Theodore Kaczynski was born on May 22nd, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois to Wanda and Theodore Kaczynski. Um, his parents later told his younger brother, David, uh, who was played by Mark Duplass, thank you, in the movie, <laughs> um, that Ted had always been a very happy baby until a severe case of hives actually forced him into hospital isolation for months at a time. So he only had limited contact with others, and after that, like, he just didn't show a lot of emotion. Like, he wasn't as playful as he'd been before that, which makes sense. Like, you hear about, yeah. you know, in orphanages and stuff, like, babies that don't get physical human contact, they do have emotional issues later on. So, Or he was covered in hives. Or he was covered in hives. His mother would later recall that Ted, when he saw pictures of himself, like, as an infant, being held down by the physicians examining his hives, that it would just, like really stress him out he would cry like he said he could remember all of that stuff happening to him and she thinks that's why he always had a lot of sympathy for animals that were in cages or like he would help birds that had broken wings and was just like Mm -hmm. very kind to animals and was just generally like a really nice little kid to other people from first to fourth grade 
he was in elementary school in Chicago, and everyone said that he was really healthy and very well adjusted. But in 1952, the family moved to Evergreen Park, Illinois, and when they arrived there, they tested his IQ, and he tested at 167, which is genius level. Yeah. And so he actually skipped to the sixth grade at that point. So he was a little, little kid. I would think that then removing him from his peers and moving him up like that, too, might not have done any favors. Exactly. Like, he would later describe this as a really pivotal point in his life because previously he had a lot of friends and, like, teachers mm-hmm. would refer to him as a leader. Like, he always helped the kids that were a little bit slower in, like, math, which he excelled at, obviously. But when he skipped that far ahead, he didn't fit in with the kids, like, emotionally or physically, and he was bullied regularly. But he, while attending high school, did always excel. He played trombone in the marching band, and he was a member of the mathematics, biology, coin, and German club. So he was really active, like, trying mm-hmm. to make friends actively. I so. feel you, Ted. Yep. <laughs> but school clubs are not the way to do that, no, by the especially way. especially not mathematics club, but no. whatever. No. So, like I said, he was ahead of all of his classmates academically, even, like, though he'd skipped three grades. Oh, wow. Um, so he actually graduated from high school at the age of 15 crazy he was one of five national merit finalists and then applied to harvard college where he went on scholarship at the age of 16 years old dang yeah on scholarship so as a sophomore so his freshman year he lived in a house with other academically gifted boys again like he was the youngest one and the house that he lived at wasn't terribly social because they were all you know very book smart yeah. Um, but his, his roommates said that was very normal for everyone that lived there. Like, he just, once you got to know him, he would talk and talk and talk. Like, no one had any bad memories of him, right? So, as a sophomore, again, trying to get out and, like, get to know people, he participated in a study led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray, who's pretty famous for not great things, as we will discuss. The subjects were told that they would be debating personal philosophy, which Ted was, you know, really interested in, and were asked to write essays detailing their personal beliefs and all of their aspirations. The essays were then turned over to an anonymous attorney, who in a later session would confront and belittle the subject, making sweeping and personally abusive attacks, using the content of the essays as ammunition while electrodes monitored the subject's psychological reactions. Hey, that's fucked up. So, like, for a year... He would sit down one-on-one with this Murray guy, and this Murray guy was, like, grooming him to, like, get to know him, like, what his belief systems were, like, would praise him, like, what a great student he was and how far advanced for his age he was and all this. And then, like, two years in, or a year in, all of these personal attacks would start. All of the encounters were filmed, and the subject's expressions of rage were later played back to them repeatedly. The experiment ultimately lasted three years with someone verbally abusing and humili- humiliating him every single week. Yeah. And so whenever, how, how many, whenever they did it on this show, it was, it was really fucked up. Like, it was so fucked up. Yeah. So how many other mass murderers were in this group? Well, they... He was the youngest one. I think that there were eight from Harvard that year. And the problem was, many sources have suggested that Murray's experiments were part of the Central Intelligence Agency's research into mind control known as Project MKUltra. Sounds a little conspiracy but okay. Nope, because Murray was heavily involved in that. Really? Yep, and Harvard participated as well. The problem is, is as a lot of our listeners will probably know, 
when all the stuff in the late 70s was coming out about MK Ultra, all of the documentation was destroyed. So they have the code names of the other people, but um, Kaczynski's project name was called Lawful, because it's like Lawful Good or whatever. Mm. And so they don't have a lot of records on everybody else. And like for somebody else to come forward and say, hey, this was actually me too. But Murray admitted that he was involved with it. And the guy that wrote the original book saying that he was tested on with LSD, Murray was in his book, like, involved, because Murray was his professor as well. Gotcha. Hmm. So for those of you that don't know, Project MK Ultra was launched at the height of the Cold War and was intended to give the U.S. an edge over the Soviet Union in psychological warfare by any means necessary. This included experiments designed to render the induction of hypnosis easier enhance the ability of individuals to withstand privatization, torture, and coercion, and produce amnesia, shock, and confusion. A lot of the stuff you'll see out there about, like, psychic abilities and stuff like that, that's never been proven. It's just people kind of saying whatever. But this stuff they actually have proof of. So there's that. Um, And multiple universities, hospitals, prisons across the U.S., like, participated in Project MKUltra. So... See, listening to something, something that you'd be capable of doing to somebody who was drunk, though. Like, just... Yeah. Just get the whole world drunk, problem solved, mind control. Be totally fine. Mm. Totally like, fine. Hey, man, it'd be pretty fucking crazy if you if you took that bike there and you went over that ramp, which is actually just a dead-end bridge. Or climb up that water tower to prove that you can. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking clock tower, but either way. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I'm just like, oh, we're going there? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it, that's what I'm saying. Though. Like they're the, the power of suggestion. Obviously, they did a lot of a lot of drug experimentation at the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it's interesting to me, to me to hear you say what their goals were because everything that I've researched with MK Ultra, yes, those were among their goals. But it just doesn't mm-hmm. really seem like the totality of what they were going for. That's not so. like everything. No, I, I understand that. Yeah. You're hitting the high points, but that's why I bring it up, because there's saying, a lot more to that. Let's than... do an episode about MK Ultra because it is so interesting to me, and that part of um, Manhunt was, like, why I was like, oh, was pretty cool. oh, there is more to this story than what we're talking about, because that fucks some people up. Only if we can do some of the tactics on air. We have an intern. <laughs> oh, we're, we're gonna uh... browbeat Alonzo? Is that the plan? <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. Okay, so for how shitty all of this sounded, please keep in mind that Kaczynski spent a total of 200 hours with Murray as part of the study. That's like 10 days. It's fine. While he's attending Harvard. That's like 10 days. (laughs) As a 16, 17-year-old boy. They get a summer break. It's fine. I'm just saying. And so Murray had to write home to his mom and ask for permission because he wasn't 18 years old. Yeah. No, Murray... So Murray wrote to his mom, or Kaczynski wrote to his well, mom? Well, Kaczynski wanted his mom to sign, but it was like a permission slip, basically. Okay, I, I thought you meant that Murray had to had to write Kaczynski's oh. mom. Well, Murray, I guess, probably put together the permission slip. Okay, there And you sent go. it to Kaczynski's mom. Yeah. Makes more sense. Wanda. Wanda Kaczynski. Wanda Kaczynski, gotcha. Yeah. So in 1962, after he graduated from Harvard... He enrolled in the University of Michigan, where he earned his master's and doctoral degrees in mathematics in 1964, which, and 1967, respect, respectively. So he did that pretty quickly. In 1967, his dissertation won the Summer B. Myers Prize for Ma- Michigan's Best Mathematic Dissertation of the Year. Um, his advisor said that Kaczynski was the best that he'd ever directed. 
And Maxwell Reed, a member of his dissertation committee, said I would guess maybe 10 men in the country could understand or appreciate this. Damn. Yeah. So there's that. Late in 67, the 25-year-old Kaczynski became the youngest assistant professor of mathematics in the history of the University of California, where he taught undergraduate courses in geometry and calculus. All right. And he's still the youngest one to this day. I don't think they probably promote that that much, but I'm just saying. No, it's it's still up on the wall, obviously. (laughs) So then, in June of 1969, without any explanation, he quit. Yeah. And there was, it was sudden and unexpected. No one really knew what exactly happened. So, there's that. So after he resigned from Berkeley, he uh, moved to his family's home in Lombard, Illinois, And then two years later, he moved to a remote cabin that he built with his brother in Lincoln, Montana, where he planned on living a simple life. He didn't have electricity. He didn't have running water. He didn't have a steady job. Um, His goal was just to become self-sufficient so that he could live autonomously. He taught himself survival skills, all this jazz, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He was a regular... He taught himself jazz? Jazz. Nice. Jazz dancing. Good. Yeah. You need um, a hobby out there in the cabin. Well, for I mean, sure. alone without electricity, what else are you going to do? That's, That's fair. Except you can't, like, YouTube. Then again, it's, <laughs> YouTube wasn't a thing <laughs> Yeah, we're, back we're then. a little, little ahead, a little of, ahead YouTube, of YouTube. Right? But yeah. still. He was just sitting out there watching Leah Remini on YouTube. <laughs> yes. But this was, like, pre-Janet Jackson nip slip, so YouTube wasn't really a thing yet. Yeah, yeah. So he was a regular volunteer at the local library, and he would, you see in the show like he helped people with homework and he would read classics in their original language like they'd order them in for him but it got to the point that he felt it was impossible to live peacefully with nature because of the destruction of the wild land around his cabin by real estate development and industrial projects and in response he began performing acts of sabotage against nearby developments in 1975 so it would be like, you know, little bombs, little fires. You know. Things like that. Just, just little bombs. No <laughs> little bombs. Deal. Little bombs. Yeah. This, um, this sounds like that uh, That animated, uh, there's an animated movie that sounds a lot like this. Oh, so it's a bunch of animals like revolting against a foresting company. Huh. Ferngully! You're talking about okay, Ferngully! Okay, Fer- Ferngully's a different one. But yeah, no, Ferngully, you're absolutely right. That's also one. Also Pete's Dragon. Also Pete's Dragon. Okay. That's I fine. haven't seen I, either of these. I have no you idea haven't what you guys seen Ferngully? No. Oh, I'm sorry. God damn it, Jennifer. It's so I don't amazing. watch animated movies. Tim Curry voices a slime ball. You'll yeah. love, you would love it. It's so good. All right. They're fairies. He, he is literally a, a ball of pollution. That's uh-huh. so good. 100%. Yeah. Okay, so Kaczynski's first mail bomb. We're getting to the meat of this, you guys. Yes. Uh, was directed at Buckley Christ, a professor of materials engineering at Northwest University. On May 25th, 1978, a package bearing Chris' return address was found in a parking lot. The package was then returned to Chris. I did air quotes for everybody. Who was suspicious because he'd not send the package to begin with, so immediately he contacted campus police. Campus police showed up, opened the package, exploded, and it injured his left hand. Yeah. So after that initial bombing... He started sending bombs to airline officials, and in 1979, a bomb was placed in the cargo hold of American Airlines Flight 444, a Boeing 727 flying from Chicago to D.C. A faulty timing mechanism prevented the bomb from exploding, but it released smoke, which then caused an emergency landing. Right. And authorities said that it had enough power to completely obliterate the plane if it had actually exploded. Shit. So what was the logic on that? Like, was there a, what was the motive on that one? Big business. 
Him being against big business. So it was just the the airline company, not anybody in particular that was right. on the plane. Okay. And the yeah. thing is, is that none of his bombs that he sent were actually like to get back at that specific person. It was to Send get back at the business of which they're affiliated with. Yeah. Sure, I understand that. I was just kind of curious what the what what the logic was on that one. So obviously, in, a, in this day and age, terrorism is well. Yeah. In, in in like seven years ago, day and age, that was a legitimate concern. Yeah, but at the time, bombing a plane was kind of an unheard of thing. So to to have that motivation would mm-hmm. would have to be something specific, I would think, yeah. not just I hate Big large business, companies. Man. Big business, yeah. It's real weird. It was a lot of universities and a lot of airplanes, which is why Unabomber. I mean, he had to deal with a lot of university bullshit, though, so I get that. Yeah. I don't know if he had a bad experience on a plane once or not, but well, we've <laughs> yes. all had a bad experience on a plane. Who hasn't had a bad experience but, on a plane? I stood at that carousel for 45 <laughs> goddamn minutes. <laughs> Turns out I was standing at the one for Denver, and I came from Salt Lake. Son of a bitch. Yep. By that time, they've already put your bag through the shredder. You might as well just fucking go home. After 45 minutes? Oh, yeah, it's done at that point. God damn it. Okay, so since bombing an airliner is, in fact, a federal crime... Right. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, became involved in the case and designated a Unabomb for University and Airline Bomber. The U.S. Postal Inspectors, who initially had responsibility for the case, had initially called him the Junkyard Bomber because of the material used to make the mail bombs. Like, they had a really hard time. Like, now you always see on, like, CSI and shit, like, oh, these nails were bought at this local store, blah, blah, blah. But, like, everything that he used was found. So there would be no way to trace this back, even, you know, with old Grissom, or whatever his name is on CSI. I feel right. like the Junkyard Bomber was the name of a really big hot dog that I had at a restaurant one time. <laughs> that sounds delicious. It like, really I don't wa- really know no, what's so on it. That sounds uh, really Like chili and onions? Li- everything. And potatoes? Junkyard Bomber, son. God, that sounds It might have gravy on top. Who knows? It's you like love a, gravy on it's top. It's like a poutine hot dog. Yes. <laughs> If, if we keep doing this, it's going to get real gross. We're all kind of hungry. Like. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, let's see. In 1979, an FBI-led task force that included the ATF and U.S. Postal Inspection Service was formed. The task force grew to more than 150 full-time personnel, but minute like analysis of all of the components of the bombs and into the lives of all the victims like proved that there was no linking any of these people. Like, there was no linking yeah. components, there was no looking people, like, they, they had no idea what the fuck was going on. So, in 1980, Chief Agent Don, John Douglas, your boy mine hunter, yes, started working with agents in the FBI to issue a psychological profile of the unidentified bomber. He described the offender as a man with above-average intelligence and connections to academia. However, this was kind of the beginning of, like, the heavy-duty forensics, that's all we can follow, blah, 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 right. type thing, which you see in the document, or the Manhunt show. Mm-hmm. So based on, you know, the junkyard-type materials and everything like that, the profile was later refined to characterize the offender as blue-collar airplane mechanic. And that's the one that yes. they really promoted to the media a lot, um, which made John Douglas not want to work with them really anymore, because he's kind of a douche. A little thin-skinned, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, but they also took basically no stock in his... Right. In like his, his assessment. Theory, so, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't really want to work with him either. It's exactly. like, I'm supposed to be the expert on this matter, and you basically said, nah, you nah. don't really fucking know. The science, old Johnny boy, says otherwise. So, 
forensics, what is. <laughs> At this time, they also sent up set up a 1-800 hotline um, to take all calls related to the investigation and put up a $1 million reward for anyone who could provide information leading to the Unabomber's capture. Was it a federal offense to call that line drunk late at night? I don't think so. That's dangerous. Don't ever <laughs> set one of those up. So one of his Kaczynski's tactics would be to leave false clues in every bomb, and he would leave them specifically just to fuck with people, like deliberately mislead the investigators. Some of these they talked about in the, the show, which is like initials FC, that was left in every bomb. One note that he left in a bomb that didn't detonate, and he'd made it not detonate on purpose, says, Woo, W-U, it works, I told you it would, R-V. So that didn't make any sense. Right. They had another clue was that he used Eugene O'Neill $1 stamps on all of his boxes. Which they thought meant something. They didn't really know. He would embed bombs in books. And, like, they had people looking into, like, what the books could possibly mean. Which was crazy. But all those random kind of clues. The first serious injury occurred in 1985. When John Hauser, a graduate student and first captain in the United States Air Force, lost four fingers and all of his vision in one eye. All um, in the same hand? <laughs> yes, probably. That's a valid I'm question. Just curious. <laughs> I know, it's just an odd question. I, mean, I know. It's not an odd question. I didn't but... know if he was, like, pinching the package at the time with both hands. Maybe he'd yeah. lose two on each. I don't he, know. He was opening the package like, I eat tacos. <laughs> that might actually explain a lot. With his t- the tips of his fingers? In right. the most dainty way possible. I, I also want him to just have like a thumb and a pinky on one hand now. Just yes. so his whole life is just fucking hanging loose. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. Uh, the next one was Hugh Scrunton. A 38-year-old Sacramento, California computer store owner uh, was killed in 85 by a nail and splinter loaded bomb left in the parking lot of his store. Another one happened in Salt Lake City on February 20th, 1987. Uh, This one was disguised as a piece of lumber, and it injured Gary Wright when he attempted to move it from the store parking lot. The explosion severed nerves in Wright's left arm. In Wright's left arm. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha ha. And propelled more than 200 pieces of shrapnel into his body. That's not fun. That that is not funny, guys. That's not funny. (laughs) So after a six-year break, uh, Kaz- Kaczynski. Thank you. I keep wanting to say Krasinski. Oh, I wish. <laughs> also, I don't wish because he's adorable. He is a national treasure. He is. Um, so he struck again in 1993, mailing a bomb to David Glintner, a computer science professor at Yale. Although he was critically injured, Glintner did eventually recover. The same weekend was sent Oh, another bomb was mailed in the same weekend to Charles Epstein, who worked at the University of California. He lost several fingers. And then Kaczynski then called his brother, who was a behavioral geneticist, and told him on the phone, you're next. Which doesn't really fall in line with everything else. So I right. think that's a little weird, like random. Yeah. Maybe you wanted to warn him because they like grew up together. I mean. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. You're next. If I was on a murder spree. Brother on um, brother. If I was it's on a murder spree. It's not a murder spree, spree at this point. Well, yeah, but supposing I was on a murder spree, which mm-hmm. I know it's hard to imagine or anything. <laughs> but supposing it's I was. It's very difficult to, yeah. If I was going to murder somebody that I liked, I'd probably like give them a heads up. That's true. That's true. It's just a, it's just a courtesy. But it's more a, a courtesy Duplass. call. Right. It's Mark Duplass. Like, how can you do that? 
That's huh? his brother. No, no, no. He didn't call his own brother and said, here, oh, you're next. Okay. He called... <laughs> what? I don't remember that, but whatever. He called Charles Epstein's brother. Oh, okay. That oh, okay. No, I was way off on that. Yeah, story. we were Never both mind. thinking it was his brother, Ted's no, no, brother. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, that makes no, sense. No, you said it weird. He hated his you brother. You said it weird. <laughs> He's hated his brother's wife. He loved his brother. That's true. It's fine. Okay. So, in 1994... Um, another man named Thomas Mosser was killed by a mail bomb that was sent to his home. Kaczynski said that he blew up Thomas Mosser because the company he worked for had helped ExxonMobil clean up its public image after the Exxon Valdez incident. Gotcha. So, and more importantly, because its business is the development of techniques for manipulating people's ed- attitudes, like the Burston Marsteller that this guy worked for. Okay. So, yes. This was followed up in 95 by the murder of... Gilbert Brent Murray, who was president of the Timber Industry Lobbying Group of the California Forestry Association. So in total, and that was the last one. That's the one that the actual doc- or show starts with. Is the one in that big building. Mm-hmm. I'm looking yes. at Jennifer because she watched this. Yes, yes. So the, the Manhunter show starts with this bombing. Like, it doesn't really go in depth to a lot of the others. But in total, the FBI tracked 16 bombs created by Kaczynski that resulted in 23 injured victims and three deaths. Only two bombs were identified and diffused prior to their explosion. Whereas a few of them were either intentionally or unintentionally left to not detonate. Yep. Right. All right. So during the start of Kaczynski's reign of terror, they started calling him the Unabomber, which is, like I said, University Airline bombings. Yes. He was very careful to leave no forensic evidence or anything, like I said before, so they didn't really have any way to, you know, track him down. And that was until 1995 when he sent in this essay entitled Industrial Society and Its Future. It was sent directly to the FBI, I believe. A copy was. And also to the Washington Post and New York Times? Possibly, yeah. It was like two big newspapers and then also the FBI. And it was huge. It was a 35,000 word essay. They were referred to it, oh yeah, hey, September 19th in 1995, the manifesto, as it was known, was published in the Washington Post and New York Times, and among thousands of responses and tips received directly, received daily for months, the big one was David Kaczynski, which is his brother, and he's like, hey bros, I think this is my brother. Like, for sure, this is my brother. Yes. Should have bombed your brother. Uh, right? Like we thought you did. Right, exactly. <laughs> but... Ted had always been an avid letter writer. He had boxes and boxes of letters because they hadn't lived together, you know, or near each other. Ted, Ted was living in Montana. Uh, and he for... didn't have electricity, a phone, or anything like right. that. So he um, had to write letters. Just a bunch of stamps. Yeah. So many yes. stamps. The same stamps, apparently. All, all the, the same stamps. They're, all of the letters were written with a dollar stamp on them. I don't know about that. That's probably not true. A dollar's a lot to spend a mail just the letter. Uh, yeah, it is. A package, not so much. Like, it costs money. That's true. Okay, so using the letters and documents (laughs) written by Ted, provided to the FBI by his brother David, the FBI's linguistic analysis determined that the manifesto's author was, in fact, Ted Kaczynski. So, on April 3rd, 1996, investigators arrested Kaczynski at his tiny cabin near Lincoln, Montana, and there they found highly descriptive journals, oh, about 40,000 pages worth, where he described all of his crimes in detail. As well as numerous bomb parts and one completed bomb ready to be mailed to another victim. Nice. In the show, it's under his bed. Didn't they, at one point, 
like know where he was going to drop off the packages. Yeah, and I, I didn't find a lot of information about like how they broke down a lot of it because there's yeah. a lot of like FBI information that's accessible, but it's digging through a lot of stuff. Right. And this is not a history class. I don't go that in depth. But in the show, they traced them back to like three different mailboxes in, in like, the Bay Area. Yes. Yeah. So he literally was like leaving to come to San Francisco to mail these packages. And that's why you see them in, like, big clumps of time. Like, it'll be a year or two before you get, like, three packages sent all at the same time. Yeah. Right, because so. I'm not driving all the way to the post office. Fuck no. I'm going to drive to a post office in San Francisco well, so they can't trace me. Well, especially whenever you're trying to, like, sustain yourself and you can't make gas on your own property. So. Yeah. He took a bus. Really? Yeah. He rode a bike everywhere else. Do they accept, he didn't have a car. Do they accept beets and or squash as bus fare? <laughs> I mean, he lived off the grid to the extent that he had money still. Yeah. But like how? Oh, From his past life. Selling he, stuff? Yeah, fair enough. You know what I mean? His brother, his mom, his dad. But know. it really steered the FBI in a totally different direction because they were thinking he has to be in this area. Yeah. If he's using these mailboxes. Sure. So it like led them into like a deep dive into looking at suspects in that area and they weren't even thinking about that this other guy that it was even possible that he wasn't in california yeah right, this weird guy in a cabin in montana exactly right. now we always right. expect the weird dude in montana for sure that's my that's my go-to anyway that's what i'm, I'm gonna be in my next life is a weird dude in a cabin in montana you, i would hate you can that be life. that in this life that's true uh, you could i really like netflix <laughs> so right <laughs> but like before netflix was a thing would you have done it probably not let's be real uh, no, because he went to the library. I love a good library. That's true, but that's like your whole life. Is a learning library? jazz, too. Jazz. Jazz dancing. Jazz, 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 jazz Yeah. Yes, Perfect. Please. Oh, God. Okay. Here's the kind of part that I thought... I felt bad for him. <laughs> like, no. I'm going to go ahead and say no. this right now on the record, is that I was watching this, and I genuinely felt kind of bad for him. And all of this happened when I was like 10 years old, and before I was born honestly yeah so like i knew what the unabomber was but honestly didn't know like what exactly his crimes were he killed three people yeah and but, he got... but how many fingers well but he injured 23 but he wasn't just some like crazy person out just to kill people he was making a statement about what our like society is but could you have made that statement without hurting people probably to the effect that he had no He's, he legitimately saw himself as a revolutionary. Oh, I'm sure that's what and he thought. And I appreciate that to a certain extent. You appreciate his passion. I do. Yeah, I, I get do. that. I, you know I love a tall, skinny weirdo. That's like, true. Okay, so You love me, short, skinny weirdos. I love all, all skinny sure. weirdos. Okay. Ouch. I love all weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. So he's going to trial. They've given him the opportunity to plead guilty. He's like, no, I'm not going to. Let's go to trial. And it turns out that his attorneys that had been hired by his brother were going to present an insanity defense. And he did not did not want that at all because he felt like it would minimize what his beliefs were and what his yeah. reasons for what he was doing. Sure. He, he wanted to maintain the effect of what he'd done. Exactly. Which is commendable in its own right. Yeah. He couldn't persuade his attorneys not to present an insanity defense. And he couldn't persuade the presiding judge to allow him to choose a new attorney at this point. So he asked the court for permission to represent himself. Like, he's a very intelligent man. Like, he was already kind of telling his lawyers, like, the direction that he wanted to go. 
But in response, the judge, uh, Garland E. Burl, ordered Krasinski to be examined to determine. Did you if- say Krasinski again? I think I you did. did. <laughs> say it again. God damn it. So at what point did they allow him to be on the office? <laughs> it's actually his son. Oh. That's why they added another letter. So that's what, that's why they added the R. Right. Yeah, got it. Okay. That, that would put a big smudge on the credits to the office for some reason. <laughs> and he like just pops up spooky eyed. Yeah. Um. So they were they had him be examined to determine if he was competent to direct his own defense. Court psychologist provided a provisional diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia, but she concluded that Kaczynski was nevertheless competent to represent himself. Okay. However, Burrow refused to allow it. Like the judge was just like, no. Dick. Yeah. Faced with the prospect of a humiliating trial in which his attorneys would portray him as insane and his philosophies as a raving of a madman, he agreed that in exchange for the government's agreement not to seek the death penalty, he would plead guilty to 13 federal bombing offenses that killed three men and seriously injured two others and acknowledged responsibility for 16 bombings from 1978 until 1995. So on May 4th, 1998, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he was just like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Before he pleaded guilty, he did actually try to commit suicide. That did happen. Okay. Which happens in the series, but yeah. it did happen in real life. I don't know if – I couldn't find anything as to, like, how he tried to do it, like, hanging himself, like, right. in the show. But there is notes of it actually happening. So. And generally, if you're waiting and in, in holding in a cell somewhere, that's about your only option. Mm-hmm. I mean, short of beating your head against the steel toilet until it cracks yeah. open. But right. Hanging yourself is probably how you're going to have to go out in that situation. Ugh. Okay. So, he was remanded to the U.S. State's Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility. That's a lot Also of words. known as ADX in Florence, Colorado. Helpful, yeah. Yep. Which is known as Alcatraz of the Rockies. He spends 23 hours a day secluded alone in his cell. I mean, he loves being alone and secluded. Well, yeah, that's what started this Hold on. I know. <laughs> he get a cellmate. No. Oh, Okay. <laughs> What's also interesting is how well he's adapted to his 12 by 7 foot prison cell, which is not that much smaller than his 12 by 10 foot cabin. Right. Yes. So they moved him to a cabin in the Rockies. Exactly. Well Essentially. done. But it has electricity and things mm-hmm. that he doesn't like. But yeah. He, he can just unscrew the bulb. It's fine. Yeah. Right. Like, yes. He actually has thousands of pin pals on the outside. He writes to them daily. One of which was Timothy McVeigh before he was put to death in 2001. Uh, yeah, I think Timothy McVeigh was put to death pretty early. And but, pretty... but it's not it's not just other prisoners. Like, he keeps track of, like, his old Harvard friends. He has friends still from high school. Like, he writes all of these people. They huh. sent him a directory inquiry for his 50th reunion of the class of 1962 Harvard Alumni Association. He responded. He listed his occupation as prisoner and (laughs) his eight life sentences as awards. I would have loved to have been on that committee. And it's like, so do we send this to this guy? Or (laughs) what's the protocol here? Also, I would be worried being his pen pal because then he has your address. That's true. Yeah, that is true. He remains to this day or remains adamant to this day that he is not mentally ill. I think that they were saying he's seen four different psychologists in the 20 years that he's been there, like, regularly. 
And all of them have said that they have seen no sign of paranoid schizophrenia and that it was a completely political diagnosis. And they're. I mean, that's what I got out of it is I don't honestly think he was, you know, there was nothing wrong with him mentally. It was because he's so smart, too, mm-hmm. that he got... And he just yeah. felt very, like... He was very passionate about... People. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, understandable. Yeah. He just wanted revenge, I guess. So this this is what I thought was really interesting. You ready for this? So after his capture, theories emerged naming Kaczynski as the Zodiac Killer. Oh. What up, Ted Cruz? <laughs> <laughs> Among the links that raised suspicion was the fact that Kaczynski lived in San Francisco Bay Area from 1967 to 1969, the same period that most of the Zodiac's confirmed killings occurred in California, that both individuals were highly intelligent, both had an interest in bombs and code, like ciphers, both wrote letters to newspapers demanding the publication of their works with the threat of continued violence. Uh, However, Kaczynski's whereabouts could not be verified for all of the killings, and the gun and knife murders committed by the Zodiac Killer differ from Kaczynski's bombings. So they didn't really think that – they didn't yeah, take it too seriously. I don't think that he did that, no. But well, well on top of that, they, they did the whole linguistics uh, experts at the FBI to determine that Kaczynski was the one that wrote the manifesto. So why could yeah. they do that with the Zodiac's letters? Yeah. Given if you're smart enough, you can probably figure out a way to change your patterns. Well, Zodiac's are handwritten, too. Well, this is linguistics. It's not handwriting. Right. It's, That's it's true. literally the way the way that somebody speaks or the the patterns of their speech. So, mm-hmm. I would think that that could put some of that, at least, dispel some of those rumors. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Ted Cruz, however, watching for you, sure the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, he's the Zodiac Killer, and then he was the uh, what? He was the lead singer of Striper for a while or whatever. <laughs> but... <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> Look it up. It's hmm. hilarious. That dude is Ted Cruz in a mullet. Oh, fucking dead So good. It's fine. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that is my story of the Unabomber. And everyone needs to see this show. And you should watch the show. amazing. Because it's really good. I, I live in a cabin in the woods. I don't have electricity. Also, Netflix, if you want to be our sponsor, feel free. Oh, <laughs> Because we yes. love you so much. I go to Netflix all the time. I'll promote everything on there. <laughs> so who else? Amazon Prime, Google, we've mentioned, I feel like. Yeah. We're just selling out at this Essentially, point. Essentially, yeah. Totally fine. fine. I mean, I that. use all of these things. So all of these services. We need a bigger creepy basement. We do need a bigger yeah. creepy basement. All right, cool. Guys, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or want to correct something random that I said, feel free. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or you can always email us at queencitycreeps at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, and we hope to hear from you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.